Good morning. Welcome to Christ's Covenant. Uh, as Andy mentioned, we are going to continue uh, with the Sermon on the Mount series, and we're going to continue in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer. And, and, and one of the things that we have to remember is, you know, we, we've heard it so often, are we saying it or are we praying it? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Are we just saying the prayer or are we praying the prayer? Seth did an excellent job of setting the uh, foundation, setting the context, and, and, and basically Jesus is teaching uh, his audience about three things. He wants to change their behavior on how they give. He wants to change their behavior, behavior on how they pray. And he wants to change their behavior on how they fast. So today, we're going to begin with changing the behavior of how we pray. So if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll look at verses 5 through 15. Matthew 6, 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So as we look at the Lord's Prayer, one thing I think everyone understands is that Luke chapter, the chapter of Luke, excuse me, and Matthew they have parallel teaching on the Lord's Prayer. So what I want to do this morning to try to set some context is first of all, look at what Luke has to say about how the disciples requested Jesus to teach them to pray. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And this was a very interesting request because the disciples up to this point and throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels, the disciples had not asked Jesus to teach them to really do anything. They had many different requests for Jesus, but they had not asked him to teach them anything. And notice what they're asking him to teach them to do. Teach us to pray. Not to preach, not to teach, not to uh, perform miracles, but teach us to pray. And throughout Scripture, we can see evidence of Jesus preaching, sometimes in public, but most of the time, Jesus would step away from the crowd and even his disciples to spend some time alone with the Lord. So, at this particular occasion, when Jesus finished praying, the disciple approached him and said, you know, teach us to pray. As a matter of fact, and it's not that the disciples had not prayed before, 
it even says in the scripture, you know, teach us as John taught his disciples. So praying was not something new to the disciples. But what they're asking Jesus is, teach us a new way to pray. Because we want what you have. And what he had was an intimate relationship with the Father. They saw the results of him going away and then coming back, having spent time with the Father. Understanding how he and the Father are one. Understanding the fellowship between the Father and the Son. And so they're saying, teach us. We want some of what you have. We want the relationship that you have with the Father. We want that kind of relationship. And as we'll see in Matthew, Jesus fulfilled the disciples' request, knowing this, that he was preparing them for two things, preparing them to follow him as his disciple, but he was also preparing them to live a life in the presence of God. Because I think we need to understand as believers in Christ, we live our lives in the presence of God. We don't come to church to come into the presence of God. We don't go to our prayer closet just to be in the presence of God. As believers in Christ, we are continually in the presence of God. So what Jesus was teaching his disciples was not only a model prayer, but a model for their walk in the presence of the Father. And so now, as we move to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins teaching his disciples how not to pray. And it's very interesting that that's what he did first. He didn't teach, start teaching them how to pray. He began by teaching them how not to pray. And so as we look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, Jesus says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap upon empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Now, I think Seth, last week, he, he made the point that Jesus was very upset with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And the reason he was upset with them was because how they were leading the people. As a matter of fact, in one of the scriptures, it said that the Pharisees were leading the people to hell. And so Jesus provides a negative example of how not to pray. The example of the hypocrites. He says, they stand in the synagogue and on the street corners and they pray because they want to be heard. They want to be seen. And Jesus reiterates, it's not about what you're doing, it's about the motive. The motive, what's in your heart? When we go before the throne of grace, the Father looks at our heart. He wants to know the motive of why we are praying. And the motive for the hypocrites to be seen 
and to be lifted up by men. And Jesus clearly says, they have their reward. But he said, if you go into your closet and pray pray in secret, God will reward you. Now, Jesus was not against and is not against public prayer. Again, his problem was with their motive, to be seen and to be heard by men and be rewarded by men. The next negative example of prayer Jesus shares with his disciples is the prayers of the pagans. Then the pagans, they had uh, uh, a lot of different gods, a lot of different gods. And so, and one of the practices was repeat things over and over and over and over again to convince the God to answer their prayer. In other words, it's kind of like a chant or, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, pagan is what it was. They repeated over and over and over again. And Jesus said, no, no, no. <laughs> you do not need to do that. You do not need to repeat the same thing over and over and over again for God to hear your prayers. He said, because you know what? God knows what you need even before you open your mouth. So Jesus is reiterating, prayer begins in the heart. Jesus, excuse me, the Father is looking at our heart for our motive. Before we go to that throne of grace, we need to prepare our hearts. And I like what... um, Seth did, and I like what Andy uh, talked about, is preparing ourselves for prayer. Preparing ourselves. And Jesus is saying, prepare yourself, prepare your heart so that your motive is right when you go before the Lord. Now, throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he showed a tremendous amount of compassion to the people that he met. He healed some people. He fed people. He perform miracles on people. He even took a thief to heaven with him. And he taught people about the Father. And he had compassion on all of those that he came in contact with except for the Pharisees. And as I said earlier, the Pharisees, their teaching were leading people to hell. In fact, in Matthew 23, it records a rebuking with seven times uh, he rebuked the Pharisees for their leadership because it was causing people to go to hell. As a matter of fact, he said, how will you, it was a rhetorical question, how will you escape being condemned to hell? This is how he felt about them. But you also need to understand that there was an element of compassion for the Pharisees. There's an element of sorrow because he knew that these individuals would be condemned to hell. So there was, he had sorrow for them, but he had a responsibility to call out their teaching because it was sending people to hell. Jesus wanted his followers and he wants us today to understand that the Father will look at our heart when we pray. So if we're praying to hurt someone, if we're praying uh, uh, to get something 
that we, we don't deserve or if we're praying some evil on someone? No. That prayer will not be heard nor answered by the Father. Now, once Jesus had finished teaching his disciples on what not to do, he began his lessons teaching them how to pray or to pray. And the, and the Lord's Prayer is broken down into two sections. First of all, the first section is about the Father. About the Father, his will, and his glory. And the second part focuses on the children's blessings. In other words, what we should pray for. So as we look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, the first part of that, Jesus says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. We need to understand the most important thing to Jesus doing his earthly ministry was acknowledging God and his Father and living in continual presence of him. And when Jesus addressed the disciples, they could see that oneness. They could see that unity. They could see the relationship of a perfect sonship, father to son. They were in total unity, and, and, and God and the son were together in all things that they did. So, when they saw this relationship between the Father and Jesus, they were saying, hmm, I want that intimate relationship. As they witnessed Jesus' relationship with his Father, they wanted to spend time with the Father as Jesus did. And they wanted the same thing that Jesus had. So, so as we look at this relationship between the Father and the Son, what does that say to us as believers today, and what did it say to the disciples? You know, one thing that we need to understand is this. The greatest blessing a believer in Christ has is for Christ's Father to be our Father. Okay? Let me say that again. The greatest blessing a believer in Christ has is for Christ's Father to be our Father. Christ's sacrifice allows us to share his Father and to be loved by the Father. And his sacrifice, he sacrificed his life so that we could experience the love that he experienced with the Father. And we can approach the Father with love, knowing that he loves us. In John chapter 17, verse 23, Jesus prayed, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them even as you loved me. Let's think about that. Jesus is saying the Father loves us, his disciples, his children today, as much as he loves Christ. You know, and, and I don't think, well, the disciples didn't understand what that meant, and we don't either. We don't understand uh, 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 the magnitude of the Father's love for us. Our, our finite mind uh, can't understand the love of an infinite God. We can't understand that. But Jesus, he wanted his disciples to know 
as the Father loves me, he also loves you. In Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, it says, For you, have, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that what? We are children of God. Adopted into the family through the sacrifice of Jesus, we are children of God. And brothers and sisters, that's no small thing. So as adopted sons and daughters, we have the privilege and the blessing of calling God the Father our Father. And as I said, I don't think the disciples truly understood what that meant And I don't think we understand what that means today. But Jesus is teaching us that when we pray, we pray to our Father in heaven. Now, the second most important thing that Jesus, that was important to Jesus doing his earthly ministry was glorifying the Father and keeping his name holy. Glorifying the Father and keeping his name holy. Why? Because his name, the Father's name, is an expression of who he is. And we need to understand that Jesus and the Father are one. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So, that, so the Father's character was very important to Jesus. The name of God represents God himself. In John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus prayed, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I glorified you by what? By being obedient to you. Everything that you gave me to do, I accomplished. And therefore, you are glorified and your name remains holy. In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, Paul writes, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So Jesus is teaching his disciples that when we pray, we pray to the Father, and we must remember that the Father is holy. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with the Father being holy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, it says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. I'll read that again. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. So we, as the body of Christ, must remember that we, as God's children, or a reflection of his name. If we are his children, then we naturally carry his name. Therefore, his reputation, his character, his name is at stake in us. I'll I'll repeat that. His name, his reputation, his character is at stake in us. The Father's name is important to Jesus, and the Father's name should be important to us. Because as Jesus, 
We are ambassadors for Christ. We represent the Father's name. Now, Jesus turns his teaching to the Father's will. In Matthew chapter 10, excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is saying, when you pray, you pray that the Father's will is done, that the king, his kingdom come, and his will be done on heaven as it is in earth. And we need to understand that the Father's will is perfectly executed in heaven. And so what, what Jesus is saying, we need to pray that his will is perfectly executed here on earth. When Jesus teaches us to pray that God's kingdom may come, he means that we are to pray that God may reign here on earth. That men will acknowledge him as king, that life here may be guided by his commands as it is in heaven. And, and, and one thing he wants us to understand, we're not praying that we'll be taken from earth into heaven. We are praying that heaven would come down to earth so that the earth itself may become as it is in heaven. So why was this important to Jesus? because he wants us to understand what God's fatherhood means to us. He wants us to experience the Father's love, a love so great, a love that's so great that what? It cost Jesus his life. Jesus gave up his life so that we could experience the love of the Father. So when we are praying for the day when all kingdoms of this world will be the kingdom of God, the Father. And Jesus will be King of kings and Lord of lords. That's where our hope lies. Our hope does not lie on our life here on earth. Our hope lies in our heaven, the heaven coming to earth. And we often say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Next, Jesus begins to teach us about the, the children's blessings. And so when we, we, when we look at this, when we look at this, what is Jesus saying to us? Jesus is saying to us that whatever our needs are, whatever they may be, Jesus wants us to understand that God is not only able to meet those needs, God is willing to meet those needs. And that's very important. That's very important in our walk uh, with Christ because we're going to have needs. And the sovereign God is more than capable and more than willing to meet our needs. No matter what we're going through, no matter if we're on the mountaintop or in the valley or in somewhere in between, he is more than willing and he's more than able to meet those needs. So, as we look at Matthew chapter 6, and we look at verses 11 through 15, Jesus is teaching us and his disciples to pray this. He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So Jesus is teaching us to pray for three things specifically. Our daily bread, forgiveness, and protection. Now, as we think about give us our daily bread, you know, what is, what is he talking about? What is he saying here? Some might say, well, this is a prayer strictly for those without the resources, those that are hungry, those that are homeless, those that are, uh, uh, have come upon, come upon misfortune. This is, this is them asking Jesus for their daily bread. And Jesus is saying, no, not at all. Jesus is saying that we need to pray for our daily dependence on God. It doesn't matter uh, how much we have or how little we have. We need to pray for God's daily provisions for us. And we need to understand that it's only through God's grace that we have the material resources that we have. And that we also need to understand it's only through God's grace that we're able to utilize those resources. And so the Father doesn't want us dependent upon those resources. He doesn't want us dependent upon things that are outside of him. He will gift us with those things. But what he wants us to do is to have a daily dependence upon him. Regardless of the material resources we have or do not have. In other words, we, are, we should never be too rich to depend upon the Father, and we should never be too poor to depend upon the Father. Regardless of our state, he wants us to have daily dependence upon him. And as I said, it's only through his grace that we are able to utilize those resources. And also, as a circle back to what I said earlier about living in God's presence, daily dependence upon him helps us, ensures us, encourages us, makes us, for lack of a better term, live in the presence of God. Because our lives are in the presence of God. Psalms 139 says this. You know, in essence, I'm paraphrasing here, but it says, no matter where I go, no matter what I do, God is there. So we are continually in his presence. Jesus is saying, let's act like this. Let's act like we're in his presence. Next, Jesus teaches us uh, about forgiveness. Forgiveness. It is something that often is hard to do, and it's often hard to receive. Not because God's not willing, it's just because we're not willing. 
And the reason this is important and the reason Jesus is teaching his disciples about forgiveness and teaching us is that he realized that unconfessed sin breaks our fellowship with the Father. Breaks that fellowship. It doesn't break the relationship. Once we, once we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will always be adopted into the family. You know, but we got to live with him. We've got to live, we've got to fellowship with, with the Father. And unconfessed sin breaks that fellowship. It breaks that fellowship. But when we confess those sins, that fellowship is restored. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 reminds us that if we confess our sin, the Father is faithful to forgive them and wipe clean all of our unrighteousness. If we ask for forgiveness, he promises us that he will forgive us and he will cleanse away all the unrighteousness. In verses 14 and 15, it reads, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so as we look at this, this is kind of a conditional statement, kind of like in my software development world, an F-then-L statement. And so what Jesus is saying is this. If you want forgiveness from the Father, you have to forgive others. And when you do that, the Father will forgive you. But if you don't do that, the Father will not forgive you. So in a way, we're kind of in charge of our own forgiveness. We're kind of in charge of our own forgiveness. However, this is not an open door to try to negotiate forgiveness. In other words, we can't say to the Father, okay, Lord, you know those three sins that I committed today? If you forgive those sins, then you know, I will forgive John who said something bad to me three years ago. No. That's not what Jesus is saying here. We do not negotiate our forgiveness. Our forgiveness is, is where we humbly confess those sins and have a repentant heart. Our forgiveness is based upon our humility and a changed heart. And we need to understand that. And we need to understand Asking for forgiveness is an extremely, extremely, extremely important part of our relationship with the Father. And again, as, was, as what was said earlier, if it wasn't important, Jesus would not be saying it. Finally, the final need that Jesus teaches us to ask for is protection from temptation. Verse 13 says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Throughout biblical history, there's been the discussion about does God tempt us? And in my opinion, in my humble opinion, based upon what I read in Scripture, the answer is no. God does not tempt us. Now, Will God allow us to be tempted? Yes. You have to understand, where do we live? We live in a world that's full of sin. We are broken. 
And so in a world full of sin, there are going to be temptations. So will he allow us or, or allow us to be tempted? Yes. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it states this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Whoa. Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So if the father will allow his son to be tempted, he will allow us to be tempted as well. And the second part of that verse, it says, but deliver us from evil. And if you get a chance, go back and look at Matthew chapter 4. But I think you understand the story. How did Jesus deliver himself from evil? What was the basis of his delivery? God's word. It's that simple. He obeyed God's word. And so therein, there is our deliverance. Our deliverance is in God's word. Should we pray that we not be tempted? Yes, we should. If we are tempted, how are we delivered? By God's word. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 states, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. And we need to understand that Jesus was tempted, but he never yielded to temptation. And so he understands, as he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, he understands what we're going through. He understands how we're being tempted. And he is advocating for us with the Father because he understands temptation. And he understands that we need God's word to be delivered from that temptation. So as we look at the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer is, it's a model. It's a model for us to pray by. It gives us the key ingredients. It gives us the, the right mindset. It gives us the right motive because the Father is going to look at our heart. When we enter into his throne of grace, when we approach his throne of grace, he is going to look at our hearts. And if we look at what Jesus has taught the disciples and what he has taught us, and if we obey those things, if we do what it is he's taught us, then we can be confident that when we enter into the throne of grace, the Father will look at our heart, he will see our motives, and he will accept us. Jesus wants us to know that as the Father's children, he will hear and answer our prayer because he is our Father in heaven. Now, we need to understand also is that he may not answer the prayers the way we want them to be answered, but we have to know, as, as was said earlier, he loves us and he expects us to trust him. Him. So as I close, I just want to say one thing. 
The prayer that we read is a model prayer given to us by the man of prayer, Jesus Christ. However, the only way you can possibly pray the prayer is to establish a relationship with the Father through the Son. That's it. If we do not have that relationship, the Father will not hear our prayer. So if you're here and you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I I encourage you to reach out to someone. Reach out to someone here at Christ's Covenant. Reach out to someone at another church. Reach out so that you can do as Jesus taught, pray, our Father in heaven.